I'm Jason. And I'm Maddie. And this is Making Sense of Chaos. A podcast about death and dying, love, grief and hope. On our show, we talk to all kinds of people who through various trajectories have found themselves trying to explain the unexplainable. Trying to accept the unacceptable. Trying to make sense of chaos. Humans are weird. We ascribe meaning to the most random, meaningless events. We read horoscopes, we tell people to cross their fingers, and we wish each other good luck so as to give ourselves a sense of control over the future. But at some point in our lives, and it's often in the context of death and dying, we realise that control is more of a fantasy than reality. We might start off with a bit of a probably confronting conversation to start off with and This is something we like to do um, in every episode that we do, just to talk about um, a particular time and that we first came face to face with the concept of death. Mm. Um, So mine was basically um, in the, in the police force, um, but a bit of a strange one. Um, I was quite uh, infant into my career and basically I was, I, I attended a scene where um, there were three deceased individuals and um, I was only very young at that time. Um, I just turned 18 actually and I, um, that's the first time that I was reckoned with the almost disbelief and terror that the that, that death, um, death brings. And um, it wasn't until many, many years later, I, I probably did process and decided to, to further explore this, this concept um, of, of, of dying and death. Um, so that, that's something that will be explored over the further episodes. So I don't want to draw any more time talking about that. And I just want to pass it on to good friend Maddie to talk about her experiences. Yeah. Yeah, I guess my first experience with death was probably one of those sort of, it was probably one of those pleasant Hollywoodized experiences with death where I didn't really come close to it. I didn't really have any confronting um, feelings around it. Um, it was actually, so I was around 12 years old. It was my great grandma. She'd reached the age of 104. I didn't see it personally but I I remember I was in my room doing some art project and my dad sort of said to me oh can you come in the kitchen with with your brothers and I thought oh that's a bit weird and then he told us and it was sort of it was expected um and and it was obviously it was obviously very sad but it was also um, it was something that we knew was coming and we just wanted it to be peaceful and it was. So I guess, you know, it, it didn't really, it didn't really hit me at the time um, that that's not 
the experience that everyone has with death. And I think that only in the last few years I've really been able to explore that. Okay. Okay. So thanks for sharing that, Maddie. Um, so moving on to the most important person um, that we'll be, we'll be coming into contact with. What, what's, what's your experiences? What were your first experiences, Gideon? Or, you know, I think um, any experience that, that, that you feel you need to communicate? Uh, so my first experience, I would have been five years old when my grandfather passed away. Um, but at the time I was five, so I didn't really comprehend what was going on. I didn't, wasn't, I didn't go to the funeral, so I was very, it was very sort of abstract to me. But um, a much more immediate experience I had was my dad died about five and a half years ago of cancer. So he got mm. sick when I was 16 years old and then died when I was 18. And I was there when it happened. So I saw it happen. I saw him die. So that would have been the most impactful, obviously, experience I have with death. Okay. Gideon, how old are you at the moment? So I'm 23 now, turning 24 this year. Okay. Okay. So I suppose, uh, Matt, is, is there any quick, immediate response to what, what Gideon just mentioned? Um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's not really something we've spoken about, you know, the moment he died and I, I didn't even know the fact that you were there while it was happening. Yeah, so the whole situation was pretty insane and chaotic. Um, it happened, I mean, he'd been sick for like 18 months when he died so it had been quite a long drawn out process but when it happened it was the day after our high school graduation mm. and I had been voted as valedictorian so I had to give the valedictory speech that night um and he was too sick to attend obviously so he was having to watch the speech via live link um like through a screen and then um the next morning we were called in and he died that morning so it was a pretty, pretty wild forty-eight hours. Mm. Did it? Yeah, too. Mm. Well, where was your mind while it was happening? Um, pretty numb, like at the graduation, because I got a call. I was meant to go on and give a speech at like I don't know, like nine o'clock at night after we'd all sort of gone up on stage and received our graduation certificates or whatever. And then I got a call from my mom saying that he'd like collapsed and they weren't sure if he was going to make it. And this whole drama had happened that I wasn't there for because all of us year 12 students were in like lockdown. They made us come to graduation like hours earlier to make sure no one was too like shit faced before they went up on stage. So just to like enforce sobriety. But yeah, so I got that call saying like, you know, like, you know, we're coming, it's okay, but this happened. And, I, and then we're going to push a speech forward a few hours so that he can just, like, watch it on screen and go to sleep and not have to, like, wait up all night for it. And I was just like, oh, fucking hell. <laughs> can I just, like, not have, like, one night that's not sort of this down and, like, gloomy? Which is a bit selfish thinking, looking back. But, yeah. And then everyone was just, like, all my old, like, the staff and like teachers were just like walking around on eggshells around me because they didn't know what to say to me because they knew what the situation was and why I was having to give the speech earlier I was like okay well I guess I gotta do it then um, okay. and then and the progression from that point so you've you've been you've 
been told that your dad's collapsed. What happened next? Um, and then I didn't really hear anything else about that. My family showed up and they tried to put on like, you know, as brave a face as they could. And I gave the speech and it all went pretty smoothly. And I asked my mum, like, you know, do you want me to come home tonight? Because we all the students were booked in to like stay at a hotel that night. She's like, no, no, you know what? Just like, it's your graduation. Enjoy your night. Have fun. So I spent the night at like Crown Casino. It's just so insane looking back now. And the next yeah. morning I went home. Um, and like within an hour of getting home is when we got the call that he was dying. We got the call from the palliative care ward saying like, you know, you should come in now. They didn't say it explicitly what was happening, but like you knew. Yeah. Gee. My, I mean, my immediate response is, how did you, how did you maintain your your year twelve with this this life-altering event? I mean, this is something that that, that not many young men would experience. Um, so how did you how did you maintain or how did you navigate this? Um, I mean, it was a pretty gradual progression because it started when, like, at the start of year 11. And what we thought was going to happen was, you know, he had a tumor in his stomach. He was going to get chemotherapy and surgery. And hopefully by the end of year, like, by the end of 2013, when I was in year 11, he'd hopefully be in remission. And then that didn't happen. And we kind of had a bit of a sort of grace period over the summer holidays where he wasn't on treatment and we could kind of enjoy a nice summer holiday together as a family. And then as I went back into year 12, he started going on pretty brutal, like, chemotherapy throughout the whole year. And it just got progressively worse and worse. Like, his health just kept deteriorating all year. Mm. So by the time I was hitting, like, you know, November when I had graduation and when he died, it had just been a very long, drawn-up build-up to this. So at that point, it was kind of just like, you know, you've been living in, like, this pretty horrific situation that just got very slowly, increasingly worse. So by that point, you just didn't really react to more. It was kind of like, oh, more bad news. All right. <laughs> and how did you say that? Um, sorry. Pardon? I was just going to ask, how did you, I mean, we went to a pretty high achieving school um, and you, everyone was stressed out about exams and all their private tutors. We topped the state that year. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, how... Ridiculous. What I want to know, how did you view our fellow students um, when they were sort of crying about their sack mark or <laughs> you know, what, while you would, you just walked out of the chemotherapy ward or, you know, what, how did you sort of navigate those two opposite lives at the same time? Um, I just compartmentalised completely, to be honest. Like, when I showed up to school, like, as soon as I got on the school bus, I went into a completely different mode. I was like, all right, whatever's happening at home is happening at home. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to acknowledge it. I just want to go to school, get through this stupid year. Because our school was just insane with, like, the level of sort of study load they expected us to have and, mm-hmm. like, the level of commitment they expected us to have. Like, failure was just not an option at the school we went to. So I very much was compartmentalized and went to school and was like, all right, I'm a normal student. This is normal life. And then it's, when I went home was when I'd sort of switch back into like, oh, this is still happening at home. Hmm. And it was kind of always like this moment of coming home and being like, oh, I'm either going to walk through the door and it's going to be everyone's fine and like a good mood mentally today, or it's going to be he's like super sick and something horrible's happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I literally just lived two different lives pretty much for that year or for those two years. Like yeah. on like the surface level, there was the very normal, like I'm in year 12 and it's exciting and things are happening and I turned 18 and everyone's having their 18th birthday parties and we're going to nightclubs for the first time and all this cool stuff. And then like the real, like sort of real layer of what was happening at home was just, it was like night and day. Mm. I'm, I'm interested in getting what your, and this is probably more of an individual it could be a family, um, something that happened together, or just 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 in your own alone time. What what was your darkest? What was the upper picture of your so your darkest moment or your darkest period through this? Um, was it you know during the the chemotherapy process, or or was it when when you eventually did pass? Um, I mean, the worst moment obviously was seeing him die because it was pretty. It wasn't a very peaceful way to go. It was pretty gnarly and awful and it was like mm. drawn out for quite a while what we saw um but other than that i reckon i do have a very distinct memory of what the worst moment was because i mean like throughout 2013 when i was in year 11 it was kind of you know like it's fine we'll just try the next treatment we'll try the next treatment we'll just do you know trying to stay positive and just there was always an end goal of like he's going to be better by summer holidays and then i think it was like May of 2014 I came home from school one day and I was in the kitchen by myself my dad was the other end of the house I think it was on the phone to my uncle and I overheard the conversation and he was said he'd been talking to the oncologist and he'd asked me like flat out you know if this treatment doesn't work how long do I have and she said oh probably about a year Mm. and I like (laughs) I'm pretty sure I remember like my knees like buckling I was like oh fuck because suddenly it was a very real possibility that he was gonna die. And up until then I'd been in like, probably just been in denial that that was like even a possibility. And then I had to like go upstairs and study for a history sack. Jeez. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I mean, my, my initial response to that is, is, is how, because I know when you, you hear um, information like that from, from someone you love, and how do you how do you even I mean Maddie spoke of having the two worlds the two lives I mean how do, how does that even how did that even occur I mean you, you said you, you compartmentalized it but but what what what's that process look like because there's a level of I mean my thinking would be there's a level of um, overflow when when things when you can no longer compartment you know basically segregate the two the two worlds and they just become one yeah i mean i think luckily for me it happened right after i graduated high school so i had a very sort of clear sort of closing of one chapter and like opening of another for like lack of a better term so i kind of just held out mentally i was like just get through the years get through your exams yeah. get through graduation and then there was always like something to work towards like that was the only good thing really about doing VC is that you always just had something else to take your mind off it and my parents um they very much left my sister and I out of like the really intense conversations like I only heard that my dad had about a year left because I overheard it over the phone like they never sat us down and had that conversation with us until really he had like a week until he had like weeks left um so it was easy I mean yeah sorry I was just gonna ask do you ever wish they didn't leave you out of those conversations 
Yeah, I mean, but like hindsight 2020, like they were doing the best they could with like very unforeseen circumstances. Mm. So, and I mean, like for them, like they just prioritized, they were like, just don't worry about this. You just focus on your exams. We want you to do well. We want you to succeed. Just do your best. So the best thing I could do was just to like knuckle down study and like, you know, make them proud. And, you know, they'd spent a lot of money on my education and supported me throughout it. So for me to kind of just crumble under the pressure didn't just didn't seem like an option to me. I was like, well, you've got to do it. You've got to mm-hmm. succeed. You've got to like study through exams and get through this year. Because I'm no I'm no help to anybody if I'm just like um, falling apart at the seams. Because the situation already was pretty horrific for everyone. So the best thing I could do really was just to try my best and just get through it. Mm-hmm. Did you have an outlet? At that stage, did you have, did you, did you confide in anybody? Did you talk to anyone about what was going on? Yeah, I had a few close friends who really knew what was up, but even then I didn't really let them into the full extent of what was going on because even if you did, like, there wasn't really anything anyone could say, like, to make it better. I was pretty realistic about the fact, like, this is shit. Like, this whole situation is fucked. Um, there's nothing yeah. I can do to make it better. I'm not a doctor. I'm not an oncologist. Um, all I can do is just try to carry on as best as I can, like it was normally, whatever that means. And luckily I was big into performing arts during school. So I always was in a production. I was always like rehearsing for something. So that also was very good to kind of channel what was going on into something creative and productive. And it gave me like a routine and a structure. Uh, yeah. So yeah, but looking back, I'm kind of like, what the fuck was that? Like, you know, as an 18 year old kid kind of like deal with that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the thing that, that comes to my mind the most um, while you're talking about this kid is the, it's it's one word, control. You know, like you literally <laughs> not having any control over the situation. Like it's like the yeah. train is going and it's not going to stop and no one can do anything about it, even the oncologist. It's like what yeah, kind pretty of much. impact does that have on your life now or does it not have any impact Sorry, what does, that, what, does, uh, what impact does it have that whole element of just realizing shit I've got no control yeah I mean I'm pretty stoic now as a person I'm pretty uh, it's very difficult for me to get overwhelmed by things yeah like I had a conversation with my sister last year where I was like if that was like a 10 do you feel like everything else dramatic or like stressful in your life since then has been like a two at the max and she was like yeah <laughs> yeah like if that's like the the absolute worst on the spectrum of like good to bad everything else since then has been pretty like oh well i'll be all right <laughs> so i can survive that well i'm just thinking of like a you know a conversation we were having a few years ago i don't even know if you remember this but <laughs> We were saying about um, how, how you actually, we were even saying it a little bit today, how you, you've even got this sense of like constant rush about like, I have to do everything. I have to tick off everything because I could die tomorrow. Oh yeah. I mean, I had that for a couple of years afterwards. It's chilled out a lot now, thankfully, but yeah, I had a very kind of like do everything now attitude. I mean, which was, 
actually pretty positive looking back, like, because it was like when I finished, he died after I finished high school and then had about a month. I mean, in Judaism, you're meant to sit in your house for a week. Um, The tradition, you sit in your house for a week and everybody comes to visit you. And then you're meant to have like then 30 days of less intense mourning and then it's actually 12 months of like mourning. It means not going to parties, not doing all this and that. And after the 30 days were up, I was like, fuck this, I'm going out. Like, I've suffered enough in my life. Like, I can be sad at home, but I'm going to, like, you know, have a life and, like, enjoy myself. And it was, like, you know, my first year out of high school, I was 18, I wanted to go out and do things. So I had a very, like, you know, go to every party, meet as many people as you can, try this, try that, you know, go straight to uni and finish your degree as quickly as you can, get a job. Like, you could die tomorrow, so don't fucking, like, put anything off. And then as I got older, I've finally accepted the idea, like, oh, you've actually got time to do things. You can slow down. Yeah. I'm wondering, Gideon, when you're just going through your day-to-day life, how often you think about your dad? Um, I mean, probably daily. I mean, it probably pops up at least once a day. Even if it's like, and like, it's not always like in a bad way. It could be like a positive memory. You just mentioned a story or like a something that happened in your childhood. But yeah, I mean, it's there. It's kind of like, I mean, I still live in my family home. So it's photos of on the walls everywhere. So you can't, it's not something you like ever really stop thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, what I'm just interested in is do you look at other people if, if you see a, a, another father and son or you see um, a full knit family so to speak is is does that have any impact on you is there is there experience there when you when you when you see it so let's just say a, a father at the shops with the son or, or something um, that's just every day not really to be honest um because I mean, I was very young, like I was 16 when he got sick and like 18 when he died. So I don't really know, like it happened in a very formative age. So I don't really know a different way of growing up. Okay. Huh. So to like imagine like an alternate reality where he would be alive now is pretty difficult for me actually. I did notice it though. I remember, I think it was last year, I saw a friend put up like photos from his dad's 60th and that's when I realized I was like, oh shit, like dad's 60th birthday mm-hmm. would have been last year. We've been having a party wow. for that, like things like that. You're like, oh fuck, like can't believe it's been that long. Or even yeah. like, I mean, it's hard to escape like his birthday's Anzac Day. So every year his birthday's on a public holiday where like the whole world like comes to a stop, or the whole of Australia. I mean, yeah, that one's pretty yeah. hard to like um, ignore. Not yeah. that I would want to, but it's just there's a very there's a very public reminder of that one. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever get angry? Do you ever get angry at what what occurred and what I suppose you were you're left out of? The fact that, you know, you haven't got that experience with your dad. When you, when, I mean, you sound like a, definitely a well-rounded guy who's who's moving into a lot of different different worlds and, and you've got um, you can tell a high level of intellect. Um, I'm wondering these, you know, as you as you get older and you and you build, um as a human, as an individual, uh, do you think these things will become more and more reflective around you know, the fact that your dad's not there? Um, I mean, anger, no. I never really got angry about it. I would see other people 
in my family getting really angry over the situation or angry after the fact, like after he died. Like, and I was just like, it's just kind of a waste of time. Like, I'm not, I'm not someone who gets angry about things in general because it's kind of like, I don't know, you're just combusting in a corner really and like wasting time getting angry. It doesn't really, it's not, I don't find anger very productive. It's no. like, well, yeah, you can get angry over the fact that he's dead, but once you've like had you screamed and shouted about it, he's still dead. So, like, what good did that do you other than just make yourself more miserable? And also, it's tiring. Like, I found the whole experience of him getting sick and him dying and being in that constant sort of heightened state of anxiety throughout the whole thing just it's exhausting. So, after he died, I was like, I don't want any stresses in my life ever again. <laughs> Mm. Like I just want, I just want everything to be calm now. Like that's why, even when overwhelming situations happen around me, I just try to like anchor myself. I'm like, could be worse. Could be worse. Let's not waste energy getting, you know, upset or angry over this. The small stuff. Yeah, and I mean, the it, it's almost like it's it's such a perspective maker um, that it it makes me think. Well, one it's amazing how you've managed to um, come out of this experience with a a positive, a few positive lessons. Um, But number two, it also makes me question, you know, there is obviously a big sort of void that comes out of this experience. um, And a lot of people would be eager to fill that void somehow. Um, you know have you sort of experienced that and where does that sit with your you know spirituality or sense of how meaningful life is um you know what what are your thoughts on all of that um i mean i'm not a spirit i don't believe in spirituality or religion like um and all the more power to people who do i'm sure it's a very comforting thing for them and like sometimes i'm almost like you know it would have been nice to actually believe in something like that i can imagine it'd be very comforting i mean even like the jewish traditions of how you do a funeral how you do the grieving process it is quite comforting it's very community-based it's all about people surrounding you and visiting you um but I don't believe in a God or an afterlife or a, I have literally no spiritual side to me. So that kind of made it, I mean, not more difficult, but it kind of made you, a, it made me a realist. I was kind of like, well, you know, everyone's going to die. It's inevitable. Um, for some people, it's just going to be a lot more earlier than you think. Mm. And that's a pretty fucked up concept to have to grapple with at 18 years old Mm -hmm. not you know in an ideal world um although it's pretty privileged to say that because you know in a developed western world where we live with a lot of privilege and have healthcare system and don't you know have to worry about war or disease or hunger ideally you know everyone in your family should live until their 90s and pass away peacefully in their sleep but that's a very privileged western sort of concept um, and it's also just not the reality for, you know, a small percentage of us. Totally. So yeah, that was a pretty, pretty tough one to have to kind of reconcile yourself with as a teenager. And I mean, I'm not like, you know, as I said, like I was saying, I'm not, I don't get angry about it, but I was looking back now, it's like pretty bitter as an like, adolescent dealing with it. Like I didn't want to be around a lot of people my age at high, in high school. Mm. I isolated myself a lot looking back. 
um, like I just pretty much avoided people at lunchtime. <laughs> I'd go like the school gym and do a workout, or I'd go like hang out in like the performing arts department room and take a nap because yeah. I just couldn't be around people my age, like discussing their sack marks or like how stressed out they were about exams. Yeah, I was like, we're all gonna die. Everyone's gonna die. Do you get it? Yeah, like, it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get sick and die. Like you feel like this fucked up like person. It's like the, the like, emperor has no clothes kind of moment. You're like, don't you see what's the reality of life? You know, That's it. You know this screwed up secret that no one else knows. You're like, people die. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you're just let on that in on that secret like so much earlier than you would have liked. Just like way earlier than I would have cared to know because like the reality is everybody's going to face it. I mean, you're either going to um, live long enough that you're going to have to deal with losing people in your life or you're going to have the situation my dad had where he never lost a single person in his life because he died earlier than everybody. Like he, his parents outlived him. Yeah. Like that's a really fucked up reality, but yeah, so everybody's going to face it, but in an ideal world, you know, you're going to be in your 40s, 50s, 60s when your parents pass away, and by then it's kind of like the natural progression of life. You know, they've made it to their 90s, they've had grandkids, they, you know, they die of old age, and hopefully it's in a very peaceful way. Um, so when it happens prematurely, it just feels really unnatural and... And there's no, and yeah, I'd never really found a reason behind it. Like that's where like somebody being spiritual would probably provide them with a lot of comfort because they can find a reason in it being like, you know, it's God's will or it's right. something fate or whatever, but that didn't hold any water for me. <laughs> I was just kind of like, this is fucked up and there's literally no reason for it. It just happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're, you're, what what's your sort of core belief or understanding of what happens when when someone dies? What is it? That's it. Is it? Yeah, it's pretty. That's it. I mean, as I said, I. I mean, like for anyone who believes in an afterlife, um, that's great, and they should and can believe that. Um, for me, I just you know I felt like it was pretty final. Like I saw my dad die, and I just like. For me, anyways, it's literally just me personally speaking. I was like, there's nothing else. <laughs> That's it. It's kind of just wiped out. Um, but for me, that was more comforting, if anything, because I was like, well, that means you've got to use your time that you have in your life purposefully and not waste it and not waste it being like hung up on like explaining the small things. Um, and you should spend your time being as happy as you can and being as kind as you can to people because you never know when it's going to end. I think if I believed in an afterlife, I don't know, personally, that kind of gives me an idea where it's like, well, anything that happens on Earth doesn't matter because then you have, like, paradise waiting for you afterwards. And that, that idea yeah. has never, that's, that's never, like, sat right with me. I'm kind of like, oh. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Is it, so, so in that sense, there's no angst towards death in itself. You don't, you don't fear it. No, I mean, I, I've, yeah, I don't fear death, oddly enough, like, because I've confronted it. So mm. I'm kind of like, just, I don't know, I think I had to, I mean, I had to like work at that, but you have to kind of just 
mentally like get to a place where you just accept that it's inevitable because it is um but i think for a lot of people who don't see someone die or don't have somebody in their immediate family die um at least not like in a very premature way it's a very abstract concept i mean for me it was that's mm. why that was the worst part of like having to deal with that during high school was i was having to like grapple with literal mortality yeah every day yeah. And then yeah. having to show up to school and pretend like I was interested in the Russian Revolution, <laughs> <laughs> like to study for a te- like a pop quiz on like fucking you... like the French Revolution, the Russian Revolution, and all the while I'm literally grappling with the concept of like your parents are gonna die, <laughs> and no one yeah. no one tells you that. <laughs> There's no like course on that. No. Can you tell us about the moment um, at your funeral, like you know, and and you're just you're watching everyone in the crowd um, and you see certain faces, people that you weren't even friends with. Tell us more about that. <laughs> oh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, I think the story you're talking about, I relate to you, is that after we, like, left the funeral hall and we're, like, carrying this coffin out, I just noticed certain people from our year level and, like, I mean... It's very sweet and it's very nice of them, but there were just some people who just looked like destroyed by the funeral. Like they were just like red in the face, sobbing, and I was just like, <laughs> "This is where the, the slight bitterness came in." I was like, "Oh, fuck off! It didn't happen to you. <laughs> Why are you so histrionic? Like, calm down. It's not your dad." And looking back, I'm like, you know, that's a very normal reaction for people to have. You know, they've seen something really sad and horrible you cry as what for me with empathy does but in my brain having like you know dealt with this insane traumatic experience literally the day before because in judaism you bury someone either the day of or the day after there's no like sort of period in between the funeral and the death but i was just like i'm like mentally trying to piece together where i am right now like can you just calm down a little bit (laughs) i love that it's so it's so <laughs> so raw. Like, I love that you can even say that because, and that's what this podcast is really about: the fact that, in a lot of cases, social norms wouldn't permit you to say something like that, despite the fact that I'm sure you're not the only one that's experienced it. Um, yeah. And it, I mean, it is. It's a natural response to be like, "Why the fuck are you?" Yeah. Well, that's the thing as well. It's like. You know, like, that was just an 18-year-old me being bitter and also, like, grieving, just being like, oh, fucking calm down. Like, um, But, I mean, you don't know what's going on in anybody else's life. I'm sure there's, there's tons of people just like me who have dealt with their parents getting sick or dying at an early age, and you don't know what triggers somebody might have. Mm. So, you know, I've learned to mellow out a lot more as a young adult. <laughs> but in the moment, I was just kind of looking at people like, Jesus, <laughs> even I'm not crying this much. Well, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. I, I reckon I could talk about this for ages. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that um, one remaining question that I have for other people listening who might have a friend or a partner who's going through. Um, grief in a or or they're going through the process of realizing that um their close one is dying um and a a lot of the time you hear that 
people have no idea how to react. Like there's this massive awkwardness around it all and um, people just they want to say the perfect thing but they don't know what to say so they don't say anything. So then the grieving person ends up comforting everyone else. It's like so what, I mean, given that you've been through this, kid, what's your advice to other people who don't know what to say to someone? Oh, well, yeah, well, number one is like, don't be awkward because that was like, what else I was telling you the other day, Maddie, I was like, that's the worst part is like after the fact, like after someone's died, you're at, you know, at the funeral, you're at, you know, we do a lot of, um, serve, you have to go through a lot of like sort of services in the synagogue yeah. where we'll come and greet you. And like some people are just so awkward and like, they, you know, they say the condolences and they just stand around like looking sad and awkward, not knowing what to say. And I was like, say your condolences very sweet I appreciate it, and like move along or just have a normal conversation like you know like somebody who's like just suffered a bereavement is not gonna like fall apart in front of you like they've already suffered the worst thing like they don't have to now like mitigate your awkward feelings around it um but I mean if you're trying to support a friend going through it just say to them like you know I'd if you don't know, like, if you've never, like, dealt with it personally, just be like, you know, I don't understand what's going on. I can't, like, you know, I can't fully understand the scope of what's happening, but just know I'm here for you. Um, if you ever want to talk about it, and if you don't want to talk about it, that's fine as well. Because sometimes there were times where I could tell people wanted to, like, get me to open up. And I was like, I really just don't want to talk about this right now. It's all we talk about at home. I'd rather talk about anything else right, right. now. Right. Yeah, just just be real with a person. It's like, if you want to talk about it, I'm here for you, hundred percent. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine too. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, and like whenever I hear now, because there's been a few people that I've known whose parents have passed away, I just send them a you know a message like you know I'm so like I'm very sorry, sending you and your family my condolences. If you ever want to talk to someone who's been through like you know not the same situation but something similar and can relate hit me up I'm here if you need and like not many people have that's fair enough um but some of my friends have and we've had a very frank conversation about it that like you can only really have with someone who's gone through the same thing mm. and it's very it's quite comforting it's like oh, I'm not crazy <laughs> all these weird things that I've been feeling are just very normal and part of the process mm. Mm. I mean I remember actually one friend um He'd said to me once on a night out, like, because there's been some drama, somebody fighting with someone else, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, I said to him, like, in a moment, like, we were just off to, I was like, oh, God, life's just too short for that shit. And he was like, God, you're like an 80-year-old in, like, a 20-year-old's body. I was like, yep. <laughs> like, I'm emotionally weathered. And then, very sadly, a few years later, his dad died as well, very unexpectedly. Um, and a few months later, we were talking about it, and I, I'm pretty sure I like said to him, "Like, remember that time you were like, <laughs> you're like an eight year old and a twenty year old's body." Yeah, you know, like often you hear these topics framed as like intellectual um, conversations. You know, like you'd read in a philosophy textbook, like "Oh, meaning of life" or existentialism, and it's like, well, actually, you're gonna, you know, inevitably, you're gonna go through those topics yourself in a personal sense and personally I haven't yet um Gideon you have (laughs) and it's it's um yeah it's it's incredible to hear how the the level of processing you've reached with it is um is something that's really cool I think and 
and I'm, I'm undoubtedly will be helping others who are listening to this podcast um, who might be in earlier stages of processing. And, yeah. that, and, that's yeah, the, and that's the thing that I'm hearing too, Maddie, is that this is um, Gideon's progression to making you know, such a horrendous life-changing experience into something that's moulding him, moulding you, Gideon. And it's you, you've morphed into a, you know, I don't know if I like the word positive experience, but you've you've morphed it into something that is has has grown you as a, as an individual. Um, and I don't know if that's I don't know how regular or regular that is um, in in the world we live in, because um, I know you know through through the work that Matt and I do, it's it's it often goes completely the other way. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. My auntie said a really poignant thing a few weeks after it happened to my mum because she, she said something along the lines of like, oh, how am I ever going to get over this? And my auntie said, you're not going to get over it. You're just going to learn to live with it. Mm. Um, so that really stuck with me. And it's true. If you don't, it's not something you get over. Like grief or death, it's just something you learn to live with and you either like yeah. learn to cope with it well. And I've also had a very, you know, in every other sense, a very like sort of privileged life. So I've had all the resources available to me to sort of live with it and still, you know, have a happy life. And for some other people, they don't have that foundation or those resources. So, mm, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Uh, thank you so much, Gideon, for coming no on. Thank you. That was Making Sense of Chaos, a podcast about death and dying, love, grief and hope. Produced by Maddie Bragle and Jason Wheel. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.